One of the criticisms directed at behavioural science and consumer psychology is that there are simply too many nudges to be aware of. There are thousands of known biases, hundreds of tactics to overcome them, and endless advice on how to encourage behaviour change. For a marketer with limited time and resources, this is pretty overwhelming. It can leave us wondering where to start. So we want to encourage customers to download our app. There's heaps of different nudges we could use, from social proof to scarcity. But which one should we pick? Well, my guest today has a solution. She's built a framework that pulls together all of the core biases in consumer psychology and behavioural science and help us all understand how to get consumers from point A to point B. Bree Williams is an expert in behavioural influence. She has been a keynote speaker at several events where she's discussed behaviour change and she's a serial author writing a number of books on the subject. She runs her own training on behaviour science and is well known for her behaviour change framework. Bree calls this framework the Williams Behaviour Change Model. Here's Bree introducing this model and explaining why she decided to create it. The podcast I'd like to recommend today is the D2C pod brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. The D2C pod is a podcast all about all the things direct to consumer. The hosts cover everything from starting, growing and optimizing e-commerce stores and D2C brands. If you're interested in the stories behind your favorite consumer brands, this is a podcast for you. To start, I'd suggest checking out episode 318, which features the CMO of Feastables. So listen to D2C Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. It's like trying to remember the name of someone you've just met at a networking event. I've made this mistake before, introducing a colleague to my new friend Dan, only to find out his name was actually Ian. Being personal with your customers is important, but keeping on top of all that information can be very hard. That's where HubSpot's all-new service hub comes in. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. It's got an AI-powered help desk and an AI-powered chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs. Plus, it never forgets a first name. All of that can help you scale support and drive retention and revenue. That means better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit hubspot.com service to do more for your customers today. My model, if you imagine a triangle, I hope you're with me so far, Phil. <laughs> on the left at the base of the um, triangle on the left-hand side, there's a circle with the letter A and on the right-hand side, a circle with the letter B because if we are going to change people's behaviour, it's very helpful to think of it in terms of I need to get people from point A, what they're currently doing, to point B, what I want them to do. So this is uh, where it all starts. It's a foundation question and oftentimes as marketers or as business people more generally, we skip straight to what we want them to do without necessarily understanding that they're doing something else instead. Now, just by asking that question, what is A, what is B, that gives us a real sense of the scale of the ask. Is this going to be a small thing or is it going to be a significant change that we're asking them to take on? 
So that's the foundation level. Unfortunately, it's not easy to get people from point A to point B because they are usually not, uh, they don't think the way we think they think often. So in other words, not always rational decision makers. Because we can't get people from A to B very easily, the best approach is to anticipate and overcome three behavioural barriers. And this is where I've attempted to synthesise behavioural economics into three layers that we can work through to resolve any possible friction that we might get or resistance when we're asking people to change their behaviour. So the first layer that we are going to work through, so there are three tiers in this triangle model. The first is that people are lazy. Now, when I'm talking about laziness or apathy, what I'm really talking about is system one thinking. We tend to navigate the world pretty superficially in many ways. We make fast decisions in Daniel Kahneman's language. We are creatures of habit. We look for the easy answers often. So as marketers and as business people, the first barrier we need to anticipate and address is that of laziness. The second barrier, if we're working up the triangle, is overwhelm. So the paradox of choice. People might think they're in, uh, they might be interested in what you're suggesting, so laziness might not be an issue, but they're getting overwhelmed. Their eyes are spinning in the back of their heads because we're giving them too many decision points, we're giving them too many choices. And so that stops them taking the action we want. And the third and final barrier to get, getting people from A to B is what I call scared. So people are scared. What do I mean? They can be anxious or worried about the change that we're asking of them. And this is the principle of loss aversion. So we're more motivated to avoid loss than seek gain. So these three barriers are all that's stopping us getting people from point A, what they're currently doing, to point B, what we would like them to do. According to Bree's model, to encourage behaviour change, we have to overcome three barriers. Laziness, overwhelm and fear. Each of these barriers has behavioural science principles backing them up, like system one thinking, choice paralysis and loss aversion, and they can help you figure out why people might not be behaving in the way you'd expect. In this episode, we'll walk through the model, exploring how it can be used to improve your business, your marketing, your work, whatever it is. Let's start with the first barrier, laziness. I asked Bree for an example of laziness in action. The most obvious examples when we're talking about lazy are those quote-unquote low engagement categories. So you might think of a lot of financial products in that bracket or even sort of health insurances or even health behaviours. So, for instance, if um, we're trying to get people to change banks, so switch banks, and so their A is they're with a competitor bank and B is we want them to move to us as a new bank, how on earth do we get them to be interested in that. Now, oftentimes we'll say, hey, we've got a better interest rate as, as sort of the reward for switching to us. Perhaps we're underestimating, though, the degree of effort that's involved in doing that. So, for instance, if I am considering switching banks, I've got to change all my direct debits as one example. I've got to change a lot of different tentacles with, within my life. I've got to get used to a different app. So there's a whole lot of friction points, which then means that if effort is greater than the reward that is being offered, my laziness will prevent me from switching banks. 
To overcome laziness, we need to make sure we reduce the effort a customer needs to make and maximize the reward a customer will get. So make it easy to do the right thing and really hard to do the wrong thing. A classic example of this is social distancing queues at supermarkets. Most supermarkets have large stickers on the ground indicating where we need to stand. Now, most of us intuitively know we need to keep our distance, but these signs make it easy for us and take the need for decision-making away. We just stand on the sign. It reminds me of some of the work done by the UK's government's behavioural science team. This team realised that individuals often failed to enrol on employment pension schemes. Now, this wasn't because the employees didn't realise the benefits or that they didn't have enough information. It was simply because we're lazy. To overcome this, the team created auto-enrolment, meaning employees didn't have to do anything to get enrolled. By changing the default from opt-in to opt-out, they increased participation rates from 61% to 83% in just six months. What's surprising about this study is signing up to a pension is hardly a small decision. It's not like deciding where to stand in the supermarket. It's a crucial decision that can determine when you're able to retire. And yet, this laziness is still apparent. Another major life decision that is still influenced by laziness is university applications. In another study by the Behavioural Insights teams, they researched uh, students from low-income groups that were looking to apply for financial assistance. This again should be a no-brainer for most of the individuals in this group. The money is available to the groups. If they just fill out the paperwork, they'll get access to a lot of financial support. And yet, most students don't do this. The universities send out a letter to these students encouraging them to take advantage of this financial assistance. And yet, only 34% of students take up the offer. Obviously, the Behavioural Insights team wanted to improve this, and so to do so, they built a split test, which involved sending students a longer letter that gave them more information on why a student should sign up, so more info. Now, conventional wisdom suggests that this letter should work, right? With more information, the student should understand the benefits better. But in the split test, they found that it doesn't work. This actually decreased applications, with only 33% signing up this time from 34% before. In the other split test, they tested something different. They recognised that students were lazy. And here, they offered students personal assistance to those signing up and offered them the ability to auto-complete the form for them. Unsurprisingly, this increased applications by 8 percentage points. Making it easy and expecting laziness can really change behaviour. Now, let's move on to the next stage of the model. Here's Bree talking through the overwhelm barrier. The overwhelm barrier is one that oftentimes we do overlook as marketers or business people because we think the option is clear, you know, ours is the best and what on earth can they be concerned about? There's that problem. There's also the almost the inverse of that problem, which is people ask us for more information. And so we give them more information, thinking that will push them towards a decision, and it actually takes them further away from that. I think it's known as decision quicksand. So people will say, oh, yes, if you just send me some more information, I'll definitely make that decision. So you do. And guess what? It doesn't change their behaviour. 
what we're really doing is clouding their decision-making. And oftentimes I see this in website design. I've, I've worked a bit in website design and, you know, we are, are in a rush to be generous in the information that we are providing our customer. And in fact, that's doing the reverse of what we want it to do. Sometimes less is more. We mentioned earlier how providing more information to university applicants can actually decrease applications. And I think this nicely reinforces Bree's point. There are plenty of other examples of this as well. Barry Schwartz talks about it a lot in his 2004 book, The Paradox of Choice, while Ian Inger's infamous JAM study showed how additional choices can actually reduce sales. Other studies have confirmed these results. For example, one study looked at the variety of snacks, soft drinks and beers offered at a convenience store. Interestingly, as that number increases, on average, sales volume and customer satisfaction tends to decrease. More choice leads to less sales. Another study found that as the number of retirement investment options available to employees increased, the chance that they'll actually enroll decreases. To emphasise this, I'll share one more study cited in Schwartz's book. In the study, students were asked to evaluate a variety of gourmet chocolates. One group was presented with just six chocolates, and the other group was presented with those original six chocolates plus an additional 24 chocolates on top. The group who evaluated just six chocolates were more satisfied with the chocolate's taste and four times more likely to ask for chocolate rather than cash as their compensation for their participation. As Bree says, often less is more, especially when attempting to change behaviour. But how about the final barrier? Here's Bree talking through fear. Yeah, so the third and final barrier is fear. So people are scared of making changes and it's at the very tip of the triangle because it's often at the end of a process or where we're really probing around for commitment to an action And it's also often unstated. Now, oftentimes in business, we get the objection, for instance, of price. So your price is too expensive is a classic one. But is that really the reason? I think if we start to tease apart why people might be anxious about making a commitment to us, it's not really going to be about price. It's going to be, are they worried about how they'll look if this decision goes badly for them? So is it a sense of giving them confidence that they can back out. So money back guarantees, returns, you know, testimonials and cues like that to give them the confidence that you're okay. If you make this decision, it'll all be okay. A great example of this barrier comes from the world of sport. Now, players get two attempts to serve in tennis. If their first serve hits the net or goes out, they get a second serve. Now, 99% of players hit their second serve slower than their first serve. And that's because we are naturally risk averse. The fear of losing a point is greater during that second serve. So naturally, you slow down. And despite the benefit of gaining the point being the same amount, you take more caution with that second serve. Another study by Devin Pope and Maurice Schwitzer studied 2.5 million putts from the PGA Tour, an annual golf competition. The researchers observed that a disproportionate number of putts were completed on a par shot compared to similar putts completed at a birdie shot. 
Now, obviously, most birdie putts are harder than par putts, as you're more likely to be further away from the hole. But the researchers were able to average out the distances and compare shots like for like. And they still found that for the same average distance putt, golfers putted 3.7% more shots on par versus birdies. Now, why is this? Well, the researchers theorized that loss aversion must be playing a part. Psychologically, the cost of missing a par feels like a loss, whereas missing a birdie doesn't. Therefore, golfers seem to up their game on the par shots to avoid that feeling of loss. That's why they're 3.7% more likely to hit the, hit the shot on the par shot versus a birdie shot. Now, so far, we've looked at each part of the model individually, but I wanted to see how Brie uses the whole model to encourage behaviour change. So the model itself can then start to reflect how am I going to manage my life? <laughs> because if I want to change, for instance, a behaviour, I want to do something different in my work life or in my personal life, if I'm trying to shift my behaviour from A to B, and oftentimes we fall away from that, you know, New Year's resolutions fall over and, we, you know, we, it's not a question of knowing what we should do, it's a question of actually doing it often in our personal life. So you could even use the model to really tease apart the behaviour that you want to adopt. So is it a, is it a problem of laziness? So how can I make, uh, let's say it's a fitness behaviour, how can I make uh, starting to run easier for myself? So how do I overcome my own laziness when my motivation dips down and I need to, you know, recharge myself? Well, the answer really lies in reducing as much friction as possible. So how can you make it super easy for yourself? So even on the days that you don't feel like doing it, you're going to bother. So that's sort of the laziness tier. Then if you're looking at a fitness behavior and overwhelm, for instance, if you were trying to research what activity should I do, which gym should I go to, how do you clarify your decision making? So are you going to rely on, for instance, testimonials or what your friends are doing, for instance? So how do you reduce overwhelm? when you're trying to re-engineer your own health behaviour. And, of course, anxiety or fear of starting a new behaviour. I remember when I was first looking at a gym, this was years ago, I was intimidated to go into a gymnasium because I thought everyone knew what they were doing and I was the only one that didn't. And so I had to come up with a way to reduce my own fear of turning up and being sort of the newbie, newbie on the street in order to change my own behaviour. So the model becomes very flexible. You can apply it to your own personal uh, health behaviours or productivity, but of course you can also apply it with your colleagues, your stakeholders, and we've already talked about it, your customers or consumers, because everything ultimately has a behavioural basis. To kick off 2021, I actually attempted Veganuary for the month of January. Now, without really realising it, I actually worked through Bree's three barriers to make it easier for me. To help with laziness, I pre-ordered heaps of vegan treats for myself so I wouldn't find myself low on snacks. To overcome the overwhelm barrier, I planned out each of my meals at the weekend. This stopped me from getting choice paralysis in the evening and opting for something easy like a takeaway. And coping with loss aversion actually ended up being kind of easy. Because of lockdown, I was inside the house for the whole month, meaning I didn't meet up with friends for food, so I didn't have to watch somebody else eat the food I craved. 
Overcoming these barriers really does make it easier to combat change. Before finishing our discussion, I asked Brie if she had any final tips for marketers and she shared this brilliant nugget of information. Starting off with the laziness barrier, she talks about how too many marketers focus on the reward and not the effort. For instance, with laziness, the golden rule to remember is if effort is greater than reward, people will just not bother. So that means you've got two sides of the equation to work here. You need to reduce effort or unhelpful effort particularly to reduce effort and maximise reward or perceived reward. So often marketers, we're very big on the discount or the new or whatever the reward happens to be, but we've made it too difficult for people to bother. And so the science really tells us that we need reward to be almost double the effort for people to bother. So effort versus reward is the equation to work through in order to overcome laziness. Now, when it comes to overwhelm, the simplest thing to do, of course, is to give people fewer options. Of course, that's not simple because oftentimes in business we have politics or we have decisions to make about what gets uh, prioritised and what we want to put forward to people. So if you can't create fewer options, which is very disciplined, you need to differentiate those options. So limit it to, for instance, three to five options and make sure that you're really helping people understand what the benefits are of the more expensive ones relative to the ones that are less expensive, for instance. And the third barrier, anxiety or fear, there are two strategies we can use. The first is clearly to give people nothing to fear if they do what we're asking them to do. And by that I mean things like assurances, guarantees, uh, social norms, you know, you can trust us, this is a good decision. Nothing to fear if they bother taking the action. The second strategy when it comes to being scared is, funnily enough, giving them something to fear that's worse. In other words, if you don't take the action, if you stay at A and you don't move to B, you're going to be worse off. So we often need to look at, for instance, what they're doing at A and what's bad about this current behaviour. You're missing out, for instance, is one of the strategies. So scarcity or, you know, giving them something to fear about not moving in the direction you want them to take. That final point is a great one. To encourage behaviour, often we should highlight what will happen if you don't take action. A classic example of this is trolleys at your local supermarket. To get a trolley, you need to put in a pound coin. And the only way you'll retrieve that pound coin is by putting it back in the right place, by putting that trolley back in the right place. Shoppers almost always take the trolley back because the fear of losing the pound coin is just too much to bear. I love this nudge because it's incredibly simple. It costs nothing. Nobody really ever loses out. Max you'll lose is a pound. And yet the fear of that tiny loss still encourages the exact right behaviour, causing everybody who enters the store to put the supermarket trolley back exactly where it's needed. With Bree's model, I'm sure you'll be able to find similar smart tactics to apply to your work. 
That's all for today's episode with Brie. It was great chatting with her and learning more about her work in preparation for this episode. If you want to get in touch with Brie, you can do so by heading to her website, briewilliams.com. And if you're interested in learning more, I'd suggest checking out her latest course titled Influencing Action. This course covers Brie's behaviour change model in more detail, helping you learn how to change behaviour in your organisation. Anyway, that is all for today. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please do leave me a review of the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please do share the podcast with people in your network. And if you'd like to get in touch with me or learn more about nudging, then please follow me on Twitter. My username is P underscore Agnew. That's P underscore A-G-N-E-W. So you can follow me on there. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Nudge. Nudge.